Good morning. Good morning. Great to see all of you. I hope you're staying cool in the um, summer heat. It's great to see all of you. Um, You know, just before we uh, dive into God's word, a couple of uh, some housekeeping items. If you look on the screen, the first announcement is uh, there is a event coming up right around the corner for the prime ministry. This is the post-college young adult ministry. There is a praise night coming up this coming Saturday uh, called Reconnect. And I just, I love that um, that phrase because, yes, we have to reconnect uh, horizontally, relationally, but there's also a reconnection where, gosh, you know, maybe all summer you've just been kind of doing your own thing and maybe you've kind of lost sight of Jesus. And so what a great opportunity to come and, and worship God together. And this is happening this coming Saturday. So please do not uh, miss out. Uh, on the screen, the second announcement is uh, there is a very exciting resource uh, that will be available for parents of you know, elementary aged all the way up to catapult youth aged. Uh, it's called Gen Z Conference. It, this will be taking place this coming Friday and the Friday after that. Uh, the reason why I, I'm excited for our churches because, you know, for a long time, parents used to be able to say something like this to their children. I know what it was like to grow up. I know what it's like to go through what you're going through at your age. Unfortunately, uh, I don't know if we can say that anymore because uh, the digital explosion has actually created a brand new world for children. Uh, We do not know what it's like uh, to grow up in an environment where being plugged into social media is the same thing as just being alive. And we also do not know what it's like to grow up in this environment where uh, we are now embarking in the first truly post-Christian world. And uh, that's new to us but that's assumed for our children. And so uh, we actually have our in-house speakers who will be resourcing parents. And so please register. You can register online. And also afterwards, if you stop by the patio, uh, you can register there, there as well. All right? All right, if we could take our Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel of John. It is the fourth and final Gospel in the New Testament, John, uh, the 15th chapter. And as you're turning there, uh, today actually kind of marks uh, the series finale of this parenting series that we've been in. If you uh, are a parent, if you are a mom or a dad, I I trust and and hope that this series has been encouraging and and challenging at the same time. I hope that it's breathed life into you. Uh, If you've been coming and you're kind of like, you know, I'm I'm not a a parent, I might be an aspiring one, or you might be saying, you know, I, I have a long ways to go before I become a parent. But I still hope that this series has been encouraging in the sense that uh, human relationships, while they may vary in nature, for example, marriage and parenting may be uh, different, every relationship, there's only so much overlap. You can extract certain principles and apply it in in, in all relationships. And so I hope you've been able to do that. Furthermore, uh, there may come a day sooner or later before you know it where you do become a parent. And by the way, the most frightening words that will put the fear of God in you is your nurse saying, congratulations, it's time to go home now. And so that is a frightening, frightening day where you're going to wish, I just remember one thing that I learned from the parenting series. And so I hope you can put something in your back pocket. But whether you're a parent or not, I really trust that this series has been encouraging. You know, for me personally, uh, I've just been observing the series unfold. I've personally been ministered to by it. And honestly, I'm I'm really excited for our church that we were able to go through the series. Here's why. You know, if you're kind of joining us for the first time, the theme of our church this year is on mission. The real heartbeat and the pulse of the series is that, you know, we all have a propensity to kind of cave inwards and to kind of create a, a 
purpose that just exists for ourselves. But on mission is us freely admitting that God is free and that God has a purpose that he's unfolding throughout the world called uh, his kingdom. His kingdom is advancing. And for us, we, we want to kind of tune into what he's doing rather than just try to build up our own kingdom. And, and so to that end, we've been journeying to the book of Acts. Uh, we recontinue Acts starting next Sunday. Uh, we also amazing planted a church in uh, La Paz, Honduras. We are sponsoring children there through compassion. We recently sent out you know, four missions teams overseas. Uh, one came back this week, one's coming back tonight. And so it's been so exciting. But I just wonder if there's this temptation for some of us uh, to think uh, a little bit like this, where we go, you know, I love all this on mission stuff, but why are we suddenly, why have we been talking about parenting? I thought our theme was on mission. And for others of us, we might be saying, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. I'm so glad you've been taking a break from being missional to talk about parenting because as a parent, that really meets uh, my felt need. And so I wonder if there's a danger and a temptation for all of us to see like mission and on mission, put it in one compartment, but to see this idea of parenting uh, in another compartment as if the two have no correlation whatsoever. Because I think there's a temptation for all of us to see mission and being on mission as something that kind of happens out there, right? It kind of happens in La Paz, Honduras. It happens in other parts of the world. It happens during a certain life season. It happens during a certain summer season where we go to the airport and send people off. But we don't see missions often as something that encompasses all of life, every single part of our lives, even down to the very detail, even down to the very nearest and dearest place that is our families. Because, you you know, if if I might propose something, have you ever considered that for the majority of us in this room, you know what's the greatest spiritual impact you will ever make uh, in this world? It, is not necess- it may not be necessarily be through your role in a church. It might not be something exciting that you do, you do through, uh, through a parachurch or in another country. For the majority of us, it is arguable that the greatest spiritual impact you will ever make is as a parent. That the greatest legacy that you leave is kind of the the vision of God and the church and the kingdom that we make an imprint on for our kids. Because here's the reality is our children or people around us, they are sponges. Can we agree to that? Our kids absorb, it's crazy. You know, me, me uh, I'm a, I recently became a father of, I transitioned from two to three lizards, children, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, and, and, you know, we, we have three kids and I'm, I'm blown away. They're five and a half and under and they, they soak in everything. Everything. Um, I shared the story like a month month ago. I was uh, trying to take my kids to this event, and I, I have a problem with control, uh, just letting things go. And I, I, it's something I wrestle with. So, for example, when I'm late to something, I become a very different person. And uh, you know, the infant is crying. You know, he's like a week old, and the AC can't be turned on for some reason. You know, my wife just gave birth, and so we can't turn on any of the AC. So I'm sweating. I'm angry. I'm getting stressed out. And uh, in the midst of that, I, uh, I, I, I said something that originally, in the name of authenticity, I was actually going to stay here, and my wife wisely counseled against it because a prudent wife is from the Lord, Proverbs says. And so uh, I said this word, and then I could hear from the other side of the room my, my son, my five-and-a-half son, Isaiah, saying, Mommy, what does blank mean? And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, uh, I'm like in a sitcom. I'm, I'm the main character of a comedy, a tragic comedy. And you know what event I was trying to take my kids to? VBS, <laughs> right? Total shipwreck. Um, and some of you will get that later. It'll hit you during dinner. Um, 
It's crazy. They just soak in everything. And then there's a positive end too, right? Uh, you know, uh, my, my, uh, my wife and I, we have this nightly routine where we will read our kids a story in the Bible, which they're not even paying attention because they're bouncing all over the walls. And we, we sing like one stanza of a hymn. And then we, I do this thing called prayer of blessing. You know, where they'll sit on my lap and, and I'll put my, my hand over their head and I'll pray, for individual, I'll pray for them individually and I'll pray this prayer of blessing over them. Well, uh, for my wife and I, our nine-year anniversary, my, my parents um, took our two oldest kids for a sleepover. Best anniversary gift you've ever gotten, right? It's like, take them, thank you. And uh, my dad told me afterwards that um, my two-and-a-half-year-old girl, at night when they were getting ready to sleep, she, she took her hands and she placed her hands over, over my, dad, my dad's head. <laughs> and she started mouthing like as if she was praying. <laughs> and she goes, Amen. And it's just crazy and amazing how our children, they absorb their sponges. Now, I know some of us, we have teenage parents, and you're like, not my kid. Everything I say bounces off of them. That's what we think. But we all know the truth about uh, kids and parents, right? This is God's, his creative sense of humor in our lives. We all become like our parents, right? I grew up, like, my my parents would be like, you're going to do this too? I'm going to say, no, I'm never going to do that. It's, I'm a carbon copy of my parents. It's disgusting, (laughs) I say and do things. I'm like, there, that was my inner mom. I just saw a picture of my mom. I say, I'm like, that was my dad. No matter how much we want to slice it, there is something profound in terms of how a family is able to mold and impact children in a profound way. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he writes, while we are affected by powerful external events and circumstances through our earthly lives, our families are the most powerful group to which we will ever belong. Even those who left home as young adults, determined to break from their family histories, they soon find that their family's way of doing life follows them wherever they go. It's completely true. We make a huge impact on our children. This is why the poet, William Ross Wallace, he said that the hands that rock the cradle is the hands that rule the world. How do we, how do we influence the world? Through the molding that we have on our children. This is why Mother Teresa, she said, you want to change the world? Go home. Love your family. See, what's scary is that there will come a time when, our, when we look at our children, when they're grown up, their marriages, their coping mechanisms, uh, the way they view life, the way they do conflict resolution, the way they, uh, their view of God, whether we like it or not, whether we want to get on board with it or not, we are going to have an influence so that what we say and do now reverberates into their future. To put it another way, we're, we're discipling them. We are, we're influencing them either, whether we know it or not, it's not a matter of if or when, but how. We are discipling them either by the grace of God, by the power of God towards Christ's centrality or for other circumstances, which may be our kids' fault. It may be they're, they're, they're misinterpreting what we're doing and they're walking in the opposite direction. And so it's not hard to imagine why parenting is so difficult, right? Because, you know, even if we take kids out of the equation, uh, being a Christian just by itself, not even making disciples in the home, but just being a disciple is already difficult. We can agree to that. There are temptations we struggle with. Uh, there are people that we need to forgive, and that's very difficult. We know we have to serve and, and live sacrificially, take up our crosses. That is not easy. In addition to that, life is 
very busy sometimes. There are seasons when for some of us, responsibilities kick in and you cannot say no to certain things at certain given seasons. At certain seasons, we just have to juggle everything. So you can imagine that when you throw in just the calling that you and I have as just disciples, and you throw in life's busyness, and then you throw in these little people who are just there all the time and they're just soaking everything in. You can see why parenting is such a challenge. If you're sitting here and you are the parent of a newborn, like I am, you are in a zombie apocalypse and you are the zombie, right? It's just night feeding, sleepwalking through them. Mom is just a milk making machine. Dad, his brain capacity is just just sleep, sleep. That's all he can think about. If you're the parent here of a toddler, you try so hard to be patient. But you can only say, honey, it's time to go now. You can only say that so many times pleasantly, right? Before you start getting crazy. (laughs) Because leaving Target is done in slow motion. (laughs) If you're the parent of a teenager, you know that adolescence, puberty, social media, you know that it is difficult. But it's also true that sometimes just the disrespect, it just gnaws at your soul, doesn't it? Like dad, right? It's like, just download an app, dad. It's 2018, not 1818 when you were living. It's like, oh my gosh, right? Kids are like, mom, you're such a noob. We're like, what is a noob? What is the scientific definition? Is that a curse word, right? If, if you're a parent of a college student, it's like, okay, so you want total independence and you want that on my dime. Post-college, it's like, you just want to live home rent-free and still have total freedom. Okay, so parenting is challenging. And so here's the question that I want to submit to all of us as we close this series is, how do we do this? How do we do this well? Because about a month from now, maybe two months, the majority of us will forget a lot of the principles that we've already learned through this series. Like we're inspired right now, but a little bit down the road, we're going to forget. So when we forget, how do we at that moment love our children and parent in a way where we're actually on mission? And for those of us who are not parents, how do we, in the given relationships that we have, influence other people towards godliness and not away from him? How do we do that? You know, I believe uh, Jesus' words uh, that we're going to read this morning, it's going to speak directly into that. You know, see, uh, the disciples, uh, they had been journeying with Jesus for about three and a half years. And Jesus, along that timeline, he has told them, look, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be with you forever. And and though they've ignored it uh, at different periods and moments, there's this one night where they're having dinner and something feels different. And Jesus again reiterates, hey, look, I'm going to die. I'm not going to be with you. And so the pressing question for the disciples would have been, look, when, when we were living with Jesus, we produced all this amazing stuff for the kingdom. But now that he's going to depart, how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it? And it is to that very issue that Jesus addresses. And I believe that, that's the, that, that that'll help us because this verse that we're about to read, it has in some ways nothing to do with parenting. And in other ways, it has everything to do with parenting and not just parenting, but every single corner of your life as it pertains to you following Jesus. So if you could look with me in John 15, verse four, let's give our attention to the words of Jesus. He says, Abide in me, and I in you. 
as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches, and whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus here, he's describing the, the procedure or the process or the mechanism for how Christians can uh, produce that which God wants them to produce. It's not a productivity or a results based off of human standards, not human metrics, but there are these things that God the Father wants to work out in and through you and me. And so he's describing the process for that. And that's why he uses the term fruit. Now, that word Fruit, when you uh, kind of scan across the New Testament, it has a wide range of how that word can uh, show up. So for example, uh, in Galatians 5, fruit is used to describe Christ-like characteristics in the life of the Christian, right? The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, and etc. But in Romans 1.13, that word fruit is used to describe uh, conversion, unbelievers meeting Jesus, but then other interpreters say, no, 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 that, that, that passage is actually about financial fundraising. So you can see how the word fruit, it has a wide range of application. It, it could be Christ-like characteristics. It could be conversion. It could be uh, financial fundraising. And so there's a wide range of what God wants to produce in and through us. So certainly we can apply and add godly parenting in the mix as well. But what Jesus is saying is, if you want to produce that fruit, either as a parent or in your relationships at work or wherever you may be, he says the way that that fruit is produced is by abiding in Jesus. In some of our translations, it says, uh, remain, remain in me. Now, what is abide? What, what is remain? It's just such spiritual, like Bible words that are hard to grasp, right? What, what does it mean? Well, when you take the word abide and, and we go into the, the, the lexical uh, definition as deeply as possible, the word actually means, uh, it, has, it has this sense, to stay in a location. To stay in a location, meaning to dwell, to reside, to be lodged in a certain location and, to deny, and don't depart from that location. So, you know, parents, like when you say things like, um, go to your room and stay there, that's abiding. You're asking the child to abide in that room. Right? Or, or stay right where you are. Don't leave. Don't leave. When I, when I leave anywhere uh, with my kids and we're in the parking lot, I say, stay, stay close to dad. Stick like glue. Stick like glue. Right? That's, that's abiding. Now, Jesus obviously is not like a location. He's not a room where we can just go in and sit down. Jesus is God. So how do we translate this idea of staying in a location to Jesus? Well, Jesus is a person, meaning he has a personhood. He has the capacity for relationship. So then the application is that Jesus is saying, no, no, stay relationally connected to me. Don't depart from me. Stay in close contact with me. Be tethered to me relationally. Stay in the Wi-Fi location of Jesus. I have the password. Stay, stay close by. Don't depart. Like, I'll put it this way. Um, you know, it's one thing when after a long day of work or school, you come home and someone says, hey, how was your day? That's one thing. 
It's something else when during 3 p.m. a family member reaches out to you and, and asks, how is your day going? See, the prior was just a life update. After the fact of life already being lived, but the latter was not an update. It was continual communion. It's not after life has been lived. It is life being lived together. That's abiding. That's staying relationally connected. I love how um, commentator William Barclay, he describes abiding. He says, abiding means a constant contact with Jesus. It means arranging life, arranging prayer, even arranging silence in such a way that there is never a day when we give ourselves a chance to forget him. Abiding means it's not 3 p.m. and we're like, oh my gosh, I I totally forgot about Jesus. Yeah, there you are. Abiding means it's 3 p.m. and you're stressed out and you can turn to other people, but you also say, Jesus, I I just want you to know I'm stressed out and I need your help. That's it. That's all I got. That's abiding. Which means what Jesus is saying is, if you want to produce this fruit that God wants to produce in and through you, We have to stay relationally connected and tethered to him. So the application and implication then as parents or those who want to influence relationships is have you ever considered that the most profound thing that we can do for our children is not just to love them more, to love Jesus more? That that it's not just, um, you know, I need to spend more quality time with my children, although we must do that but it's also, I have to spend more quality time with Jesus. Where where we get into this book and we can see who God is like, where we're honest with God in prayer about what we're actually going through and not just thank you for this food. Where Where we stay connected in awkward Christian community, which God designed. You know, can I just say this? Like, I, I really struggle with simplistic Christian answers, right? Like, like uh, you know, just trust the Lord and, or just pray about it. I know it's true, but I, I don't know why, but I'm just in this stage where I really struggle with it. I don't like simplistic answers, but I just need to be honest. This seems like a simplistic answer. Like Jesus does not seem to give us a way out because I don't do botany. I know some of you in here do. I don't do botany. I don't know anything about botany, but I just know that if you took a a tree and you you ripped off a branch and you left the branch on the ground, you're not going to come back months later to a like teeming branch with oranges all over. That's not going to happen. See why? Because a branch does not have self-sustaining power in its own. The only way it can produce anything is it has to be connected or tethered and constantly connected to something which does have self-sustaining power. In fact, so much self-sustaining power that's able to give life to and enrich and resource and empower that which it cannot by itself. Jesus is saying, look, I am that self-sustaining power. I'm the one who sits on the throne and I've placed my spirit inside of you. I love you and I'm the vine. Us, we are that branch. The moment we get disconnected, we're in huge trouble. Apart from him, we can do nothing, nothing. But I wonder if there's a danger where for some of us, and I I fall into this temptation where I actually think I'm the vine and my children are the branches and their life, the college they go to, uh, the friends they have, that's the fruit. I know it's true. Children need their parents. They do. But maybe the illustration needs to be moved over just one where, yeah, our children need us, but we certainly need Jesus more than even our children need us. Have you ever considered that maybe the most impactful thing 
that we can do as parents is not just to love our children more, but to love Jesus more. So here's my question for all of us, parent or not. Have you been abiding in Jesus? Or are you closely connected to him? Are you walking with him? And not just the whole like, well, of course, you know, I'm here at church today. No, I mean, really. Like if I asked you afterwards, hey, how's your relationship with Jesus? Would you find that question a little like, oh, that's a little invasive. It's almost like someone just asked you like, when's the last time you went to the dentist? Can you open your mouth? Can I see? Or, or would, you would you start talking like the way that you could talk about one of your friends? Where you can say, you know, to be honest, like I, we're just in this rough patch. I, I know there are things that he's asking me to surrender and I just can't. How would you talk about him? Are we pursuing him? Can I uh, invite a little bit more of loving discomfort? You know, there are some parents in here, especially those with young kids. Uh, you you, have, you find, somehow find the courage to read the Bible to your children and, and it's amazing. But do you yourself get into God's word? How about this for some of us? You know, we, we love this church because the C department is amazing and it is because the leaders and volunteers are amazing. But if it wasn't, would you still come here for you? If there was not KKC Musical, would you still come here for you? For you to see Jesus as the word of God is proclaimed. See, I have this fear for our church that we have so many great resources and we need to take advantage of them. Gen Z conference, we need these things. It's wisdom. But I just wonder if there's a danger where in pursuing those things, we exclude our pursuit and love for Jesus. Because you know, you know what's weird? If parenting is so important, have you considered that there aren't that many passages in the Bible that are directly about parenting? Like you would think that the Holy Spirit could have added just one more verse, right? Just one more about parenting, nothing. In fact, Jesus says the summation of the law is love God and love neighbor. It's as if he's corralling us to himself. It's almost like he's saying, no, it's not the principles. A principle is not gonna save you. It's the person, come to me, abide in me. You need me. Why? Why would abiding make such a difference? Two reasons, and then story time. Here's reason number one. You know, when we're connecting with Jesus, uh, we receive an accurate reflection of our divine parent. We receive an accurate reflection of our divine parent. So I don't have too much time to get into this, but in the gospel of John, Jesus says mind-blowing things. Like here's one of them. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He's saying, if you've seen me, my nature, my characteristics, you've seen the exact copy, the representation, the radiance of what God the Father is like. Now, why is that important? Because as parents, what are we trying to do? All we're trying to do is, look, look, there is this perfect heavenly Father, and I am trying in the most imperfect way, but with my best effort to try to demonstrate and give you the, as best a picture as I can of the perfect Father which means that parenting is really giving our children a picture of what God the Father is like, which means we need to see what God the Father is like. So we need to see the Father. But how do we see the Father? When we see the Son. You see the Son, you see the Father. When you see the Father, you get the perfect example, template of what a father is like. You, you want the perfect template as a parent? You need to see the Father. How do you see the Father? You see the Son. So we must abide. Second reason. When we're connecting with Jesus, we receive a divine rest from our Father. A divine rest from our Father. You know, when we uh, spend time uh, in close relationship with Jesus, 
it, it does something profound in our hearts. It allows us to, in a healthy way, relax, which I'm not very good at. Uh, I have this tendency to be controlling and, uh, right, like children, like I just, I want everything just like wrong at this time and this way. I, I, I'm a control freak. And why? Be, because there's this belief in my mind that, yeah, I am, mom, I, I am dad, but somehow I'm supposed to play a little God role in their life, right? I control every little detail of their life. And so I, I'm, I'm this hurried, impatient, kind of uh, aloof, uh, kind of just go, go, go dad. And so I'm telling them, oh, God loves you. And God is in control of everything. But the picture and the environment that I create for them is not one where God is on the throne. It's where I'm on the throne and I don't know what I'm doing. But when we rest in Jesus, we can relax and create this environment for our children where they go, huh, life is crazy, but God really is in control. Uh, I shared this the previous two services, but you know, we, we, um, with our third, it's just, there's just sleep is goodbye. And what's weird is, I can sleep four hours, but I can really just spend time with the Lord. And that day, even though I've slept less, I'm, I'm a far better dad, far better husband, far better just Christian. But then there are other days where I can sleep more and I'll bypass my reading and I'm hurried, I'm impatient. We receive a divine rest from our father. Maybe what our children need most is not just that we spend time with them, but that we spend quality time with Jesus. You know, um, as I've been going through this series the last few weeks, and I've just been so uh, blessed by it. And as I've been preparing for this, uh, I just, I can't stop thinking about my own parents, my own mom and dad. And maybe some of you, you felt that way too, right? Like as you've been listening, you keep thinking about something that your mom did or your dad. And and I just, I, I can't stop thinking about them because there were just these crucial moments in my life some were more routine and everyday. Others were super important and catalytic and trajectory altering for me. And when I look back, um, I'm honestly in awe and mystified uh, by how at those moments, by the grace of God, they just, they, in those moments, they produce fruit. And so, you know, the, the, these stories that I'm about to share, it's not to glorify my parents. They were imperfect. They made mistakes. And they'd be the first ones to admit that. But, but I just want to show you that this abiding idea is, is not just some ethereal concept, but it is deeply entrenched in reality, okay? And so I, I hope it has that effect. So I'm going to share a story from when I was in junior high, one from when I was in high school, one from when I was in college, and I, I just pray that it'll land how it lands, okay? We'll start with more, just let's just go more a little lighthearted, but, um, you know, my, my, I grew up with a younger brother, and my brother, he's almost six years younger than me. Okay, and so, uh, you know, we fought a lot and I always won. Um, but, you know, when I was in, in junior high and my brother was in elementary, you know, we're, we're fighting all the time. And I hope I, I stated that I won all the time. But I remember one time him and I, we were fighting and, you know, we, we lived in a two-bedroom apartment for about 10 years. So when we're fighting, everyone can hear, right? Like just the next door neighbor, right? We're yelling, you know, and, you know, we're pushing each other. And one time we're fighting in our room and my dad walks in and he says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm praying outside. And so can you guys please quiet down? Which to this day, I was like, why didn't you just, why didn't you just say stop fighting? Why didn't you just fight, but just quietly? Um, and uh, so, you know, we, we get all quiet and my dad goes back out to pray and and of course, we're going to start fighting again. And so we're fighting again. And, and my dad walks in again. He says, you guys are being too loud. You guys need to be quiet. 
And so we get quiet and he leaves and, and of course we start fighting again. But then the third time, uh, the, our door just fl- uh, swings open and my dad is standing there and um, there's fire in his eyes. And if you grew up with a Korean dad, you know what that means. Some of our hands are being clammy, getting clammy right now. Our heart, race is, our heart is racing up. And uh, he, we just, my brother and I, we go dead silent. And my dad says, um, okay, both of you guys, take off all your clothes right now. And uh, <laughs> we did not expect that one. Um, and then he says, um, now I want you guys to give each other a hug. And he just walks out. <laughs> just, just hug, and walks out. And, <laughs> oh my goodness. My brother and I, we're, 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 just, we're just dying laughing, right? We're like, right? We're just dying laughing. Um, we, to this day, him and I, we still talk. We're like, what were we fighting about? We have to find out when we talk to our therapist. It's like, what were we fighting about? We don't remember what we were fighting about. We, we stopped fighting completely. Um, and I marvel because conflict resolution, I mean, even my little kids are starting to kind of fight a little bit. And, you know, it's just something that parents see every day. But it just in that moment, I marvel because I'm like, how did the creative humor that only two brothers could appreciate. I mean, he could have dominated with force and by screaming, but he just went a totally different way. And I asked my dad years later, I was like, what made you think that? And he said, I, don't, I was just praying and I walked in. And I just felt like that was the right thing to do. <laughs> I was like, oh my goodness. Um, you know, uh, when I was a, a freshman in high school, everyone kind of goes through a prodigal son or daughter phase. Everyone right? Some of the parents were like, thanks for reminding us that our children will be going through that. But for me, it was my freshman year uh, in high school. My grades completely tanked. Um, I, I started dating in secret. My parents knew uh, because back then we didn't have our, a, a cell phone. So when the phone would ring, I, I'd just be standing there, right? Hello. Oh, we'd love to, that service provider, uh, you know, and so they knew. And then uh, this is really embarrassing, but I bought this chain necklace from one of my friends and I would wear it at school and after school, I would take it off and put it in my backpack uh, because if they saw me wearing it, my parents, they would think that I was worshiping the devil. Uh, and so my parents, they knew that I was getting defiant. They knew I was starting to, to kind of veer off in this direction that they were not comfortable with. And, um, you know, we had certain conversations and I don't remember any of them. You know, what was the tra- uh, trajectory altering moment for me? Uh, it was one morning, uh, my parents, they would take me to school every morning uh, and they would drop me off at this location and I would walk home every day. But one morning, uh, my mom drops me off at that location. But before I leave, uh, she, she grabbed my hand and she started praying for me. You know, and as she's praying for me, uh, tears are just streaming down her face, just streaming down her face. And um, you, know, you know, in the story of the prodigal son, you know how it says that he came to his senses. At that moment, everything became clear for me. I was like, I overpaid for that chain necklace. <laughs> what am I doing? My grades were in the dumps. You know why? Because when, when I saw my mom weeping, it became so clear, um, it's not really about my grades. It's not, even, it's not about, oh, how do I make my parents look? And so they're trying to force me to fit this image so that it reflects them. Well, I realized it really wasn't about that. What I saw was, I was like, my mom is desperate for Jesus. She's desperate for him. And so I, I walked out of the car thinking, if my mom 
needs Jesus that much. Maybe I'm missing something. You know, the scriptures say it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance, right? And seeing my mom's kindness in her heart, uh, it was a turning point for me when I was in high school. I still kept the chain necklace though. <laughs> this final story, it was when I was in college. Um, I was a second year college student and like many college students, you know, kind of, I got to this point where I was like, I don't know what I want to do with my life anymore. And I was burnt out. And so I uh, knew, I, I thought I need, I need to take a quarter off. And so I knew I had to talk to my dad about this. And, but I, you know, 10 years ago, if I asked my, if you ask your dad for uh, parents, can I take a quarter off? That's, you're dead, right? Like nowadays you can take a year off. They call it a gap year. You know, back then it was death year, right? And so I was like scared and nervous. And I was like, I need to catch them at a good time. So I went home. My dad's, he's praying. Right, and so I had to make sure I checked my brother's room. He wasn't there, no hugging this time. Um, and he finished his praying, and, and I, I knew he wasn't going to yell at me. And so I, I started talking to him. And as I started talking to him, what really started to flow out of my my heart was basically, um, you know, Dad, I'm stressed out because I don't really know what I'm doing, and I'm afraid of how I feel like I'm not pleasing you. Like I feel like I'm not being a good son. I, I'm afraid of how this is going to make you look. And now I know I'm supposed to be the example for my younger brother. And I'm just tired right now. And you know, my dad, how he responded, which by the way, was the second kind of trajectory altering moment in my life was when my dad said, "Um, you you need to stop worrying about pleasing me. He said, I'm not your true father. I'm your earthly father. He said, God is your true heavenly father. And you need to stop worrying about pleasing me and you need to really worry about pleasing your father. So he said, if you need to take a quarter off, that's fine. You take a year off to do whatever it takes so that you can obey and hear the voice of your father. See, at that moment, my dad, he realized that what was hindering me from following Jesus was him, my view of him. And so he, at that moment, verbally communicated in a way where he was saying, I free you. I'm going to get out of the way. You know how much that conversation catalyzed me? I did not take a quarter off. I went straight back to school um, and I found myself motivated and energetic with school because I realized I think the father wants me to go to seminary. So I need to hurry up and go and pursue the will of the father. You know, my, my parents, they, they were immigrants. They, um, they did not have parenting conferences available to them. They never read a Paul Tripp book. There was a language barrier between them and me. And yeah, they made mistakes along the way. But what was clear for my brother and I is uh, my parents loved Jesus. They loved Jesus. Uh, they sought the kingdom first. They pray for us. Every morning at 5 a.m., I know my father is praying for me. And at these crucial moments, God just bore fruit in those moments through them. My parents, to this day, they, they don't know how much these, those moments meant to me. But if I told them, they would say, oh, I had no idea. That was Jesus. Now, I, I pray that we would be a church where let, let's pursue these resources with great energy, but never to the exclusion of our relationship with Jesus. Because what our kids need most is not just that we love them more, but that we love Jesus more. And apart from him, we can do nothing. So let's abide.
Let's pray. You know, as the band comes up, I just want to lead us into one uh, quick prayer topic. I think the, the greatest miracle of what Jesus talks about here is not just that we can abide in him, not that we can stay relationally connected to him, but he says, abide in me and I in you, which means that Jesus, he wants to be connected to us. He wants to be close to us. He wants to, to have communion and relationship with us, which he accomplishes through the work of the cross and taking away all of our sins. So that this morning, as we come to him, and, and we can be honest, we can say, God, I, I, I am not abiding in you. And what he would say is, oh, but I want to abide in you. He says, I want to, I delight over you. I, I want to, to strengthen you. I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. I want to walk with you. I want to speak and, and be your God in your difficulty. I want to be your anchor in your uncertainty. And so, you know, the band's going to lead us into a, an appropriate song for react. Uh, it's a response, a prayer. But before, could we just sit and really believe that he delights in us? He abides in us. Let's take a moment and, and dwell on that. <laughs>